Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. This podcast belongs to the series on the history of movement disorders. I am Tiago Tairu, a professor at the University Medical Center Göttingen in Germany, and today I have the pleasure to interview Dr. Maria Grazia Spilantini from the University of Cambridge in the UK. Dr. Spilantini is one of the stars in the field of neurodegeneration due to her continued contributions over the years, but she's most famous for her discovery in 1997 that alpha-synuclein is a major component of Lewy bodies, the pathognomonic protein aggregates in the brains of people with Parkinson's disease and dementia with Lewy bodies, for example. So welcome, Maria Grazia. It's a pleasure and a personal honor to have you on the podcast. I would like to start by asking you to give us a historical perspective of how you and, of course, your team came to the discovery that alpha-synuclein is present in Lewy bodies. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is a bit of history. So in the early 1990s, we were working with Michel Godert in trying to identify the post-translational modification of uh, tau protein in the neurofibrillary tangles of Alzheimer's disease. And one approach was to raise antibodies against the brain extracts from Alzheimer patients and so in control. But at some point, we found that one antibody that we had raised did not recognize only tau, but also two smaller bands of a different molecular weight. And so we became interested in trying to determine what this small band, they were about 15 kilodaltons, 14 kilodaltons, what they were. And so this started as a side project in the lab with Ross Jakes, that was a technician in Michelle's lab. And at that time I was doing my PhD at the very beginning. Then I was a postdoc. And finally, I was a lecturer at the university during the story of Alpha Senuclein, I have to say. And what we found that these two bands were homologous. And when we sequenced them, we decided also to produce antibody that recognized their amino terminal region, the carboxy terminal region, the middle region, and then also that they could distinguish between the two. And then Michel went to a meeting in Japan and he saw Saito presenting the cDNA sequence of a protein that he had called non-amyloid plaque component. And this protein was identical to one of the two proteins that we had found from extracts uh, from human brain. So we were surprised because we never saw staining of amyloid plaques. And we had all these antibodies. So just the other day, while I was tidying up my office, I found a fax that I had exchanged with Saito to say that uh, we didn't find this protein in plaques. And so he sent me his antibody to test. And he was right. His antibody was staining plaques, but not our antibody. So this work, uh, we continue. And then Michel saw that uh, the sequence of these uh, two proteins was homologous to one described in La Torpedo Californica by Marteau and Scheller in 1988. And they had called this protein synuclein because in the fish it was distributed both in the nucleus and in the synapses. And so seeing the homologies between these two proteins, we decided to call them alpha and beta synuclein. And while the one that we identified as alpha-synuclein was the same black component of Saito, 
The other was similar to the phosphoneuroprotein 14 extracted from bovine brain. So it had never been looked at in a human brain. And so the name alpha and beta synuclein started from that point. And at that point, I also determined the chromosomal localization of the genes encoding these two proteins. And I remember that we sent to genomics, we sent the data, and the editor asked us to give a name to the two genes. And so we called them SNCA and SNCB to distinguish the two. And so when we continued the work, but as I said, was a side project, as though after Saito published the non-amyloid black component, we became much more interested. And we found that alpha-synuclein was really, really very abundant in the brain, as described. And it was mainly localized, both beta and alpha, in a synaptic terminal. And so that is how we end up to identify alpha and beta-synuclein, to name them, and then also the genes encoding for them. And we had many antibodies. And we knew quite a lot about this protein, so much that one of them, alpha-synuclein, was very, very good in every experiment, immunoprecipitation, also immunogenicity to raise antibody. And so Ross Jakes decided to call the protein that then we name alpha-synuclein perfecting because any experiment you were doing seemed to work. And the other was imperfecting because beta-synuclein wasn't that good. And so that is how the alpha and beta came up and how we know the chromosomal localization. And then in 96, the linkage was found of the first family with hereditary Parkinson's disease to exactly the location where the alpha-synuclein was. I tried to find some DNA just out of curiosity, but we were not geneticists. We had no DNA, we had no connections. And so we had to wait. And then the following year, we heard that a mutation actually had been found in the alpha-synuclein gene. So we had all the tools. We had the antibody, we had the knowledge of the proteins, we knew how they look like in the brain, but we were mainly working on Alzheimer's and frontotemporal dementia and so on. And so I went to the brain bank in Cambridge and I asked for some Parkinson brains. And I also was looking for dementia with body brains to see if this Lewy body that were characteristic of Parkinson's disease, neuropathologically, if they contain this protein. But these were not familial cases. They were all sporadic Parkinson's disease cases. And so I used the antibody that I had and initially I stained some Parkinson brain, and it was wonderful. The first time I saw Lewy body in the microscope late in the night, and then actually it is the one that is also in the paper, because I went and I called everybody that was around to show to them in the microscope, because it, it is really impressive to look at this structure in the microscope. The problem was that we did not have any dementia with the body. The brain bank here, they didn't have it. And so Michelle was collaborating with John Trojanowski on Tau, and he asked them for some dementia with the body tissue. And so John sent us some sections of four cases of dementia with body. And I still have the box because I never threw away anything with this writing and saying the case. And so we found that actually there was a lot of synuclein stain in these cases. And both from the sections that John sent with dementia with body and the one that Parkinson that we had here. And so from that moment, it was beautiful to see that. We found also body 
what we now know is uh, everybody in the Alzheimer's brain, this big blob that I thought maybe it was Golgi, maybe it was endoplasmic reticulum. So I showed to several neuropathologists asking, what is this? Because I'd never seen everybody in Alzheimer's. They are not round, nicely shaped, like in the substantia nigra. And so that was the first encounter of synuclein with the body. But then we had really to show that it had any relevance because there are many proteins that are stuck in there. And so we had to extract the filaments and we extract from dementia with the body, patient's brain, and then also from multiple system atrophy because they had similar type of inclusions, although they were not the body, but were in glial cell. And then we try to reconstruct the filament using recombinant alpha-synuclein. And so just by shaking, like many people do now, this recombinant protein, and we could see that it was by immunogold labeling, identical to the one that we extracted from the filament. And that indicates that really the alpha-synuclein was the component of these filaments in the body. And so that is what we published earlier. Mm -hmm. That's history. Wow, that's really interesting. It shows how it's important to be attentive to details and how you and Michelle connected all the information that you were reading about. So that's really interesting. And I want to pick up on something you just mentioned. Usually we read this in all papers that alpha-synuclein is the major component of Lewy bodies. Do we know what percentage does alpha-synuclein represent in Lewy bodies when you did your extractions? Could you estimate... We know there's a lot of other proteins, but what is the percentage of synuclein in Lewy body? Well, we have never really measured the percentage per se because you have to dissect the Lewy body to know that. And the fact is there is an evolution in the Lewy body formation. So you have pale bodies that are much looser. They have less filaments. They have more organelles around, and then they become more and more compact. There are some reports saying that about 90% of the content of the body is alpha-synuclein. Others say that the tissue can vary between nanograms to micrograms. And so I don't know exactly because it depends on the area of the brain, the number of the body, and then really dissecting them. But what I would like to say is that I don't think that major is really related to content. I think to amount. Mm -hmm. I would say that is perhaps better to say main, because what we mm -hmm. meant when we say this is because the filaments that form the synuclein are the main component that form the skeleton of the body. Mm -hmm. And then when you have this structure in the cytoplasm, can be beside the filament also granular alpha-synuclein, oligomers, and so on, many other proteins remain trapped on it. And so you have a lot of chaperone protein, a lot of enzymes, you have a cytoskeleton protein. Some people say that there are 150 to 100 protein identified as attached or that come out if you extract the body. But if there are not the filaments of alpha-synuclein, you don't have this sort of a compact aggregation of other protein that remain stuck there. And so I think that the meaning is mainly main component because without the filaments of synuclein, you don't have the body. And then on the other end, there is also something else. The body are one aspect of it because there are the small synaptic aggregates that, in my view, they're really very important. So the body is something that disrupts the soma of the neuron, disrupts transport, but the synaptic aggregates 
that are not as big as the Lewy body, they really disrupt the function of the synapse and therefore the dysfunction in dopamine release and so on. And so I think one has to look at that in the context. The Lewy body are important, but there are also these other aggregates of synuclein. You're leaving me a good lead here because I wanted to go after this and I wanted to ask you, we read so many things these days, there are so many opinions and people are actually questioned whether Lewy body pathology is relevant and whether the Lewy bodies are the culprits or even whether the toxicity that we seem to believe is taking place in the presence of alpha-synuclein is because of the aggregates or is it because its function is lost when alpha-synuclein aggregates in Lewy bodies or in those smaller aggregates that you mentioned? What do you think is more relevant? I think that, for example... This is my personal view, but based also on the results we have had in mice, the synaptic aggregates are the ones that disrupt the function into the initial dopamine release, dysfunction, and so on. And there's the beginning of the aggregation, and the synuclein also start to aggregate in the soma. We don't know if it is protective or not at the beginning, but when you have a big body, disrupt completely the transport, the trafficking in the soma, and certainly will become toxic. But I don't know if there is a loss of function at the synapse that is due to disaggregation. So you have at the synapse a gain of toxic function due to the aggregates, but also you have a normal loss of function because synuclein is involved in a movement of the vesicles containing the neurotransmitters. And so, for example, in experiments that we have done in our transgenic mice, where we have aggregation of alpha-synuclein both in the cell body and in the synapse, what we find is that the dysfunction at the synapse seems to precede the dysfunction in the cell body. So the loss of dopamine release in the striatum comes earlier than the neuronal death of dopaminergic cells in the cell body. And when we use oligomer modifier or chaperone protein to disrupt these small aggregates that we know co-localize with nerve proteins and therefore is a full disruption of the system in the presynaptic terminal and could be a postsynaptic. We have studied many the presynaptic. Then we find that there is a huge increase of monomeric synuclein. And that is the question, is there are less aggregates, the aggregates become smaller, and there is also this increase of monomeric alpha-synuclein in the same place. So what is relevant? Is the increase in the monomeric synuclein or it is the decrease of the aggregate. And I think this is an important question that we have to try to answer, to understand. Because, for example, many people, they are trying to inhibit alpha-synuclein expression, reduce the alpha-synuclein to avoid the formation of aggregates. But what if the aggregates continue to form and you just reduce the normal synuclein that could still be functional? And so I don't know if at this stage we know for sure that in this condition, because reducing alpha-synuclein in normal brain, nothing happens. There are a lot of mice that do not have yeah. alpha-synuclein and knockout or spontaneous mutation. But in the context of the aggregation, will be very important to find out. I'm sure that probably the aggregates are the culprit, they are the toxic gain of function, but we shouldn't forget also the monomeric synuclein. Absolutely. You raised the important question. So is there any other major open question in the field you think it's important to 
highlight because maybe we have more junior researchers that are entering the field and maybe they get from you some ideas for what they should really focus on. Yeah, I think there are so many things to do yet. It's curiosity that drives. So like this, for example, what is that makes the synuclein start to aggregate? Well, what is the trigger? Because it could be at the synapse, like we think, because we see the dysfunction there. But you have also aggregates of synuclein and oligodendrocytes, where it comes from. And then now the cryo-EM work that has been done has shown that clearly there is a difference in the shape of the aggregates coming from Parkinson and dementia with the body and multiple system atrophy. And we know that they are in different cell types. So you can have the same aggregates in different cell types. So what is the triggers? Because you probably need to have a common denominator that triggers the aggregation. But then there are factors in the different cell type that induce a different susceptibility. And so I think that these are really important questions because if you know the other important question, what does synuclein do? Mm -hmm. If you read the literature now, there is everything. You yeah. can find any sort of function for synuclein. But in the brain, besides being involved in binding synaptic vesicles or lipid membranes in particular, or for example, in plasticity, we know that is involved in plasticity through the work that has been done in birds. And then there was this report of parrots that they had aggregates of alpha-synuclein. But what is important is, what is the real function? Why do we have so much? Because it is almost 1% of the total protein content of the brain. And that, I think, will be really, really important to find out. But also what induced the aggregation. That is the two things that I think would be important to focus on. Great. Well, Mario Grazias, thank you so much. It has been an honor having you on the podcast and discussing all of these ideas and hearing from you firsthand how you made that initial discovery that started the whole field. So thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure. And I look forward to talking to you in some other occasion about some of your exciting work that you're doing. Thank you very much, Diego. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So we have just interviewed Dr. Maria Grazia Spilantini for the History of Movement Disorders podcast series. Thank you all for listening and join us in our upcoming podcasts. Bye. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.